0: Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC on ESPN 31 Font versus Aldo or as the kids are calling it out in the street UFC Vegas 44. As usual, I am your host Ben Duffy of suredog.com and the man sitting to my side here do not adjust your monitors. One because it's not going to help. The problem is with his camera, but two is <laughs> not Keith Schilling. We have uh we Keith is out this week, so we we have replaced the fighting pride of Rhode Island with the writing pride of Northern California. It is Mr. Lev Buzarski, uh, Sherdog contributor, op-ed writer, all-around coverage man, and friend of mine. How are you doing, Lev?
1: Very well. Thank you, Ben.
0: Excellent. So we just had a week off. The UFC ran 10 cards in 10 weeks. Exhausting. Uh, We got a week off for U.S. Thanksgiving. What did you do with your weekend that was miraculously given back to you?
1: Well, I I must confess I did not watch uh, much, if any, MMA (laughs) that particular weekend. I enjoyed the excellent food. I enjoyed the uh, time to do other things and just not watch MMA for, for a weekend.
0: I completely get it. We we got the gift of getting to miss MMA for a bit, but the UFC is back. Uh, they're back with UFC on ESPN 31. It is the first of three cards in three weeks to close out the year uh, before they'll take off for the end of the year and come back in January. Uh, and they're making up for lost time. This is a 15 fight fight night card.
1: Uh, <clears throat> yeah.
0: And, you know... Typically, before these things, Keith and I will kind of weigh in on whether, on paper, this promises to be a good card. If there are a lot of relevant fights on it, if there are a lot of fights that at least figure to be entertaining. Uh, What's, like, take the general temperature of this card for me. How much are you looking forward to most of this?
1: It's definitely an above-average card. Uh, There's a number of interesting fights. Uh, Certainly, the main event is by modern standards uh an excellent one for just a fight night and um there should be some uh, very entertaining fights some interesting prospects at certain elements of a card so uh, even quite a few on the prelims as well so it definitely has potential to be very good which would be a welcome relief after the last fight night we had (laughs)
0: Absolutely. Uh, I won't even revisit that except to say it would have been hard to follow up the couple of cards that came before. But it really was one of the harder to watch UFC efforts in a few years. Uh, I want to give you one piece of statistical fireworks about this card before any of the fights even happen. This is a 15 fight card. So barring any weirdness, 30 fighters scheduled to step into the cage on Saturday. Of those 30 fighters, 13 are alums of Dana White's Contender Series. Mm. The nine fight prelims—it's an even half. Eighteen fighters, nine of them are from Dana White's Contender Series, and of those nine, eight of them are fighting each other. It's almost as if Dana White's Saturday Night Contender Series is a separate prom- promotion running parallel to the UFC within like the same events. Uh, It's—I think it's almost a comment on on the Contender Series that there's almost an acknowledgement that. Yeah, we're signing eighty percent of the people who win, but it doesn't mean they're ready for actual UFC competition. We're gonna make them fight another Contender Series alum a couple times right off the bat before uh, you know we let them into the general population.
1: Yeah, I've noticed they do that a lot. Or there's uh, there's guys that, uh, well, actually, I was a bit just about to say there's this uh, Vinicius Moreira. I know he fought a few guys from Dana White's Contender Series. But he himself was a victor, uh, was a victor on the Brazilian version of Dana White's Contender Series. Yep. So yeah, they they just <laughs> recycle them all in the same pool. They they
0: they they do indeed recycle. Unless you have any other general thoughts on the card, why don't we just dive straight into these prelims?
1: No, I mean, uh, good good luck to the people, especially Jay, who's doing play by play for all 15 of them. Uh, uh, maybe he'll get lucky, and they'll cancel a few at the last second.
0: Either that, or at least some like quick knockouts or something. But whew. yeah, yeah. A- otherwise, that man is going to end up typing seven or eight thousand words in six hours. Uh, mm-hmm. The first fight up at UFC on ESPN thirty one is a bantamweight matchup between Lewis Smolka and Vince Morales. Smolka, the thirty year old Hawaiian, is seventeen and seven overall. He's eight and seven across two stints in the UFC. He is three and two in the most recent run uh, with the promotion, fought most recently back last December, knocking out uh, Jose Alberto Quinonez in the second round at UFC on ESPN Hermanson versus Vittori. He'll be taking on Morales, uh, a an alum of Dana White's Contender Series Season 2, the only uh, Contender Series guy on the prelims who's not fighting another Contender Series guy. So there's that bit of trivia for you. Morales, 31-year-old out of Idaho, or from Idaho, now fighting out of Las Vegas. He's 10-5 and five overall. He's 2-3 and three in the UFC, and uh, just turned things around after his first losing streak by taking a unanimous decision over Draco Rodriguez at UFC 265 back in August. Now, if I remember correctly, UFC 265 is actually the last time you and I did one of these previews together, and we've got a couple of guys from that card on this card so uh, we'll get to revisit how wrong we were about some of them or at least how wrong i was uh this fight smolka versus morales is close on the books uh smolka is out there right now around minus 145 as the slight favorite morales plus 125 on the comeback uh lev how do you see this one going? who do you favor to win and how
1: yeah i was actually going to mention that vince morales he actually fought uh On the card that we did our last previous show on. And I actually found him to be a very interesting fighter. Because a lot of -of run-of-the-mill UFC guys. They're just okay in most areas. There's nothing really special or remarkable about them. But Vince Morales is very different. Because he has some really unusual and elite skills. He has really good uh footwork and movement and he has really good defense in fact just his like footwork and movement you would think oh this belongs to like a top five fighter right it's really an elite skill that he has and unfortunately it's counterbalanced by the fact that he has really weak strikes not just his punches, but also his kicks. They just do, uh, part of it is like a technique, a little bit, part of it is just, he doesn't have uh, much power in any of them. And so he, he's actually like, again, I, I, I'm really impressed by a lot of his like footwork and movement, but it's hard to consistently win rounds in MMA if you can't do significant damage with your strikes and you're not a wrestler who can take guys down you can win rounds that way in boxing but in mma it's a lot more difficult and um uh against Luis smolka who's uh who's a very good grappler very tricky which is something that morales has had some problems with in the past he's pretty good at getting up but he can be taken down he has been submitted. Uh, it's just hard because I can I can imagine uh, Morales winning like four minutes of a round. But then maybe he gets taken down. Maybe he, he eats a punch because Smolka's been looking better and better with his striking. And then he loses that round. So I think uh, if Smolka is focused, if he has his head screwed on correctly, he should win the fight
0: um anything more specific or would you envision a decision uh, um, a, a submission decision, a
1: decision or submission definitely one of those two
0: outstanding uh i like your breakdown there a lot uh both morales's strengths and his uh, his relative limitations i find another limitation also that he's a little too deliberate in pace which allows well, you pointed out the possibility of him winning four minutes of a round and then losing it in the last minute. It That's possible because, one, he doesn't have the power to make strikes look like they're doing a lot of damage. And two, if he wins those first four minutes, it's not necessarily a blowout. So if he loses the last minute decisively, like his rounds are always yeah. closer than they need to be. And that's worrisome against Smolka because Smolka is opportunistic, uh, as you pointed out. Uh, I have Smolka in this one as well. And I actually think Smolka will probably uh, find a finish at some points. Uh, I don't believe in Vince Morales' ground game. I like Smolka at Bantamweight. His only real problem since coming back to the UFC at Bantamweight is he's not a super physically strong guy, but I don't think that's going to be as much of a problem against Morales as it has been against some of the other people Smolka has faced. So I'm going to take Smolka as well and give me a third-round submission. Next up on the UFC Vegas 44 prelims is a welterweight matchup between Alex Morono and Mickey Gall. Morono, the 31-year-old Houstonian, is 20-7 and with one no contest overall. He's 9-4 and with one no contest in the UFC. He's currently on a two-fight winning streak. Those two wins coming over Donald Cerrone, whom he beat in May via TKO for certainly the biggest name win of his career, then came back with a short-notice win over David Zavada uh, back in September at UFC Fight Night Brunson versus Till. He'll be taking on Gall, the 29-year-old New Jersey native is seven and three overall, six and three in the UFC. As he was signed out of Dana White's, looking for a fight after literally his first professional contest, uh, he won his last outing. That was a rear naked choke of Jordan Williams at UFC on ESPN. Sandhagen versus Dillashaw back in July. Uh, that was that allowed him to bounce back from a unanimous decision loss to Mike Perry last summer. Odds on this one, pretty heavily favor Morono. He's uh, minus 210. Gall out there around minus or plus 170 or plus 175 uh, as the underdog. Uh, One dynamic that is going to come up a couple of times on this card, almost a theme is I can't believe blank is blank years old. I cannot believe Mickey Gall is 29. I can't believe Mickey Gall has been in the UFC for over five years at this point. I mean, he turned into something more than just the, uh, you know, the love triangle with uh, Mike the Truth Jackson and Phil Brooks. He turned into a pretty decent uh, UFC welterweight, and he has made incremental changes in in his game, as you would expect of somebody who has had his second through uh, tenth fights in the UFC, like of course he's developed, just he probably would have been better served getting this development fighting in like CFFC four times a year out of the bright lights, but you know, that wasn't an option for him, but he has slowly but surely come along. I mean, his 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 problems when he started in the UFC words that he was definitely a grappling specialist, but not a plus athlete, not a particularly physically strong guy. So he was a submission specialist without a means to get the, the fight to the ground against most UFC-level welterweights. Uh, he's shored that up to a certain extent. He really ran over Jordan Williams, which I did not expect him to be able to do. Uh, but then losses to Mike Perry, even if Perry's wrestling has always been an underrated part of his game, and uh, to Diego Sanchez, still make me worry about that. I shouldn't worry because Alex Morono, for a guy with a... Second-degree black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu appears to think the floor is lava. And, I mean, you and I both, like, love Morono's game. Uh, I, you know, I like the guy a lot. I consider him a friend. He's someone I see around here in Houston, and it's always, you know, it's always good to see the guy, uh, a real mind for the sport. But you would never know this guy's grappling credentials because he has flat-out told me, if if a fight I'm in ever goes to the ground, I'm not the one who wanted to take it there, Uh, which, Put, put that on the, on the wall of, of your uh, Gracie Baja Academy, Alex, that's, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Morona for a guy who just presents as kind of a wild, uh, haymaker throwing slugger. I think he's actually a, a pretty smart fighter. Uh, he does approach yeah. his opponents at, at their weaknesses. Just, he wa- he throws everything hard and, uh, just tries to make things uncomfortable for them. Uh, he is not a plus athlete by UFC standards. Like I said, that Gall wasn't, Morona was less so. You know, he's not particularly big for the division. He's not, I mean, he's strong, but in a, a division that has the Kamaru Usman's of the world, he he looks like he doesn't even belong in the same weight class. He's not particularly fast of hand or foot. Uh, but I think he's going to have enough to deal with Gall. And I think this is going to be the perfect Alex Morono fight. Because the feet will actually be the safest place for him, and he would much prefer to slug it out. So, uh, give me Alex Morona by decision in what should be a fun scrap. But if Gaul wants to get it to the ground, I don't think Morona will necessarily let it go there. Um, so, yeah, it, it should just be kind of a, a slugfest between two supposed grappling specialists. Morona by decision. What do you got, Lev?
1: Well, first, let me say how bizarre it is to have this fight so early in the card. Uh, You had Alex Morono two fights ago, just brutalizing Cowboy Cerrone with punches, right? Great victory. Then he gets demoted from the co-main to merely the main card. And fighting a very good opponent in David Zawada, which I actually thought Zawada would win that fight. Uh, Morono ended up winning yet again. Uh, impressive victory and his reward for that is now he's on uh, the very early prelim of a fight night whereas mickey gall i mean come on mickey gall not only did he beat sage Northcutt, stopped him in a co-main event he also beat cm punk unbelievable right
0: And I mean you know even even tested tested the uh you know the ground game of my friend mike jackson
1: Indeed. (laughs) Indeed. Um, uh, I'll be honest. I'm very much a fan of Morano. I do not like Mickey Gall at all. I think he's a, he's a very dirty fighter. Uh, Diego Sanchez actually posted pictures of bite marks on his chest from their fight. And I noticed too, in the Randy Brown fight, he was like grabbing his gloves, poking his eyes, right? Like, uh, uh, there's, I'm not a fan of Mickey Gull, but, uh, to, to be fair, I actually think this is a good matchup for him. Uh, Alex Morono, he, one of his weaknesses is that he's pretty easy to take down. He he's good at getting back up, uh, against most fighters, but he can certainly be taken down and against guys who do have a pretty dangerous, uh, submission game like jordan main uh he's not as good at getting back up and he can absolutely be kept there which is how he lost to jordan main fight and gold he his his wrestling is not very technical like you mentioned how he was completely out wrestled by mike perry he was also out wrestled by randy brown who we don't really even think of as much of a grappler right but randy brown repeatedly took him down and stayed on top but he is a very persistent wrestler he can he's definitely managed to turn some fights into just straight wrestling matches or grappling matches like he managed to edge out Salim tuhari that way and I think if he can do that against morono he has a good chance uh his his uh, striking certainly looked improved versus Jordan Williams so I think this is a pretty difficult style matchup for uh, for Morono, unfortunately. And because I don't want to just pick favorites, I'll actually go ahead and uh, pick Mickey Gall by decision.
0: There you have it. Some dissension pretty much right out of the gate. This is the kind of drama that you tune into the Sure Dog Radio Network previews for. So stay tuned as we continue to make our way up the undercard. We continue on in the heavyweight division as Jared Vander welcomes Azamat Murzakhanov to the UFC. Uh Vandera, the 29 year old Californian, is 12 and 6 overall. He is 1 and 2 since joining the UFC out of uh, last season of Dana White's contender series. He lost his debut to Sergey Spivak, came back from that with a unanimous decision win over Justin Tafa. And in his most recent appearance, got uh, pounded out in the second round by Alexander Romanov at UFC Fight Night Dern versus Rodriguez back in October. He will be taking on uh, Morzykanov, who won on this season of Dana White's Contender Series just back in August. Uh, he is a perfect 10-0 and 0 in his career. He actually uh, was signed to the UFC all the way back in, I think, 2017. Uh, but ended up on the shelf for a while due to a failed drug test. When he came back, uh, it was not to the UFC, at UFC, but to Brave CF, which has become a conduit of top-level talent to the UFC in its own right in the last couple of years. He does finally make his Octagon debut at this point at age 35. Uh, despite... Uh, the fact that he's debuting despite the age gap and despite the size disparity that I'll talk about in just a moment. Murzakhanov is a slight favorite to get things done here as he is minus 185 while Vandera is plus 155 or plus 160 depending on your book of choice as the underdog. The size disparity that I talk about here comes in the fact that Azamat Murzakhanov has typically been a light heavyweight throughout his career. Uh, and not a big light heavyweight at that. He's like a five foot eleven guy. His best win of his career is over Andre Mooney's, who plies his trade at middleweight now. And he's coming in against Jared Vandera. And it sounded unkind when I said it ahead of uh, one of his last couple of fights, but I don't take it back. I still am not sure what Jared Vandera does at a UFC level other than be huge. Uh, like his skill set is. I'm six foot five and I have to cut weight to make 265 pounds. And it's not because I'm fat. He's just a gigantic dude. His nickname is the mountain. And I'm pretty sure that rather than a geographical reference, it is a game of Thrones reference. Cause he kind of looks like that guy. Uh, he's huge, but can be out wrestled by a much smaller guy. If the guy is more technical, I mean, Sergey Spivak ran him over with wrestling and Sergey Spivak is one of the smaller heavyweights in the division. Uh, Van der striking looked pretty good against Justin Taffa, but I think that may be more of a reflection on Taffa than on Van der So he's 29 and he has size that you can't teach. So I still kind of have the prospect tag on Van der Rohe, but I'm certainly not a believer in him as a UFC level heavyweight yet. But my question now is, is, is that still enough to get it done against a light heavyweight, even if Merzikhanov is a much more skilled guy? Uh, I'm, I'm going to toss it to you because I still, I, it's, you know, I'm going to have to come up with a pick for this fight in the next five minutes. I still don't know who I'm picking. So tell me what you think.
1: Uh, I'll say that you might not think it cause he's not like a big name, but Van Deraw has been one of the most profitable fighters in any division, right? In any organization for me in the last few years, right? Like I've bet on him, I've bet against him. Uh, uh usually like pretty significantly and and it's it's always been correct. um I do think he actually improved a lot versus tafa. uh his striking was was a lot better in that fight and also i i I gave him absolutely no chance against Spivak, who I don't think is that small i think I think Spivak's like now six foot three, two hundred forty pounds like hes he's. But he is a very good wrestler and um yeah the uh, Eye he he had no chance there and he he had even less chance against Romanov, who's just a monster wrestler. Uh and I understand that probably uh, some people are looking at, at Justin Toffa fight because Justin Toffa is this very small uh Southpaw striker with a very short reach and Mirzakhanov. He is one of the shortest uh, southpaw strikers with one of the shortest reaches you'll ever see at heavyweight. I, I saw him listed at five foot ten and seventy one inches of reach. Right, that uh, might be considered a little small at middleweight nowadays. Um, but that being said, um, Khanov is just too fast and technical for Vandera, Quite frankly, uh, Vandera, he's kind of sluggish he's slow e- even against Tafa right uh he can get hit he kind of lumbers uh Harry Hunsucker was like hitting him on a Dana White's contender series and I mean Merzikhanov is levels and levels ahead of Harry Hunsucker and uh actually Merzikhanov is a much better fighter than Justin Tafa as well he, he he is technical he is pretty fast at heavyweight uh he has power in both fists he he has a short right hook which he uh knocked out his opponent on the contender series with and i i just don't see vandera being able to avoid the like the explosive uh punches of of like he can just uh, Murzakhanov can just dance in and out on the outside, look for his opportunity, and I, I see him eventually knocking out Vandra.
0: There you go. Uh, one pick for uh by knockout. I'm you know, I'm leaning in the same direction. I said pretty frankly a few minutes ago, I still don't feel as though I have a great handle on this fight. But you know, every time we've seen Murzakhanov you know, he is fast, he is crisp, he hits really hard. I mean, he he by the visual evidence, he hits harder than Vanderrah, even though Vanderab, you know, might be 70 or 80 pounds like bigger than him. Uh, you know, I'm I'm leaning Mirzakanov as well, uh, just to keep things a little different. I'm gonna say that uh that Vanderrad does make it to the final bell here, that you know Mirzakanov just takes, you know, takes it a little deliberately doesn't wanna slip out of the gate and this thing makes it to a decision. But I'm with you. The question going forward will be what kind of upside he has now finally joining the UFC at age 35 instead of age 30 as originally planned. We now head up to the uh, lightweight division for a matchup between Claudio Pueyes and Chris Gritzmacher. Pueyes, the 25 year old Peruvian is 10 and two, Overall, he's 3-1 since joining the UFC out of the third season of Tough Latin America. He is on a three-fight win streak. Uh, he lost badly uh, in his first fight out of Tough, disappeared for about two years due to a succession of injuries, uh, in the meantime moved to the United States, relocated his training to the United States anyway, and since then has won three straight. Those wins come over coming over uh, Felipe Silva, Marcos Mariano, and most recently, Jordan Levitt over whom he took a unanimous decision back in June at UFC Fight Night Rosenstrike versus Sakai. He'll be taking on Gritzmacher. The 35-year-old Arizonan is 15-4 overall. He is an even 3-3 since joining the UFC out of the 22nd season of The Ultimate Fighter, the flagship series. He uh, won his last outing, taking a unanimous decision over Rafa Garcia back at UFC on ESPN. Hall versus Strickland in July. That allowed him to bounce back from getting lamped by Alexander Hernandez on the UFC's Halloween fight night card last year. This card as of right now, or sorry, this fight as of right now is a dead pick'em. Both men are minus 110. Uh, Lev, who do you have winning this one? Does this feel like a pick'em to you, or do you feel that this like clearly favors one fighter or the other?
1: Well, I understand why it's a pick 'em because there's just a lack of information here. Uh, I mean, we know who Grutzmacher is or Grutzmacher. Uh, I'm not sure how you say it. Uh, he's a guy who's who's a tough guy who overachieves, right? But he has these slapping, untechnical punches. He he lacks defense, especially a sense of distance, which is why Alexander Hernandez just. Knocked him out cold in a little over a minute. It was not exactly a, a big-time striker. Uh, but we don't really know about Puelles. Um, the fights I've seen from him, he's uh, really leaned on his grappling, and his grappling is, is okay. Uh, I, I mean, against... Um, uh, the Brazilian fighter uh, who you mentioned a moment ago, who uh, <laughs> I think they might have signed because they're like, oh, this guy kind of looks like Anderson Silva, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, he he just repeatedly took him down, and obviously uh, fighting Jordan Levitt, that's uh, a BJJ guy, so that was largely a grappling affair as well. So uh, I don't I don't know. Um, to what degree his striking is especially now uh he was very young when he was knocked out by martin bravo i believe Mm -hmm. and he's had plenty of time to improve since then so yeah it's just a fight with a lot of unknown variables which is probably why it's a pick 'em. but you know what i'm gonna i'm going to go with youth and potential here without any sort of definite leads. I'll go with a 25-year-old who might have improved an awful lot, uh, even since his win over Jordan Levitt, over Gritzmacher, who, I mean, again, Im- tough guy, but we know who he is. He's He's not going to, most likely not going to massively improve at the age of 35, right? He has clear holes in his game. So I'm going with PLS here.
0: Awesome, do you envision a finish? Do you see this going to decision?
1: Uh, I, I have no clue. I mean, anything is on the table. Sub, <laughs> submission, knockout, decision, I, I, I couldn't tell you.
0: <laughs> As you folks can tell, uh, Lev has the understandable caution of a man who normally has money riding on his fight picks, which is why he's reluctant to let me draw him out, and that is absolutely okay. Uh, the most surprising thing to me about Chris Gritzmacher is that he's from Arizona. You look at the guy, you look at the name, you look at the hair, the fight style, where you know what he really brings to the table is kind of toughness and doggedness that overcomes his lack of traditional technique or athleticism, and you're like, how can this guy not be from the Midwest? Like he's got to be from mm-hmm. Iowa or Wisconsin or Illinois. In fact, speaking of Illinois and people we'll be talking about later up the card, he kind of reminds me of like a poor man's Clay Guida without the wrestling. Unfortunately, Clay Guida without the wrestling isn't that good. Um, I, I have Pueys here as well. I think his, uh, I think his striking. I'm always just, I'm almost just going to assume it has improved by moving to the U.S. by training at Sanford MMA, and by aging from 22 to 25, like most people don't really grow into their full strength until they're their mid-20s. Uh, Those things uh, are all promising in the case of Pueyus, and even if Gritzmacher's just toughness, doggedness, uh, decent cardio allows him to survive this fight, I don't think it, it's going to necessarily allow him to win rounds. So I've got Pueyus by decision. The UFC on ESPN 31 prelims soldier on in the light heavyweight division with a matchup between Alonzo Menafield and William Knight. This is a matchup that just proves how badly the UFC must hate Fabio Chiron because his first two fights were against these guys and it was just sad, sad sledding for the poor guy. Uh, Menafield, the 34-year-old Texan, is 11-2 overall. He is 4-2 and since joining the UFC out of the second season of Dana White's Contender Series. He's on a two-fight win streak. He choked out Fabio Charant with what uh, was kind of like an arm triangle choke. It was it was a shoulder pressure to the carotid choke. Let's just call it that. Uh back in March. Came back from that and took a unanimous decision over Ed Herman at UFC 265. Uh, pretty dominant decision where he had Herman in in some trouble. Uh that snapped the first losing streak of his career, where he had dropped back-to-back fights to Devin Clark and Ovin St. Prue. He'll be taking on Knight, the 33-year-old Connecticut native, is 10-2 overall. He's two and one since joining the UFC out of uh, the 2020 season of Dana White's Contender Series. He uh, won his debut over Alexa Kamer, lost to Da Unjung Jung back in April, and then in his most recent performance back in August, he knocked out Charance late in the first round. Odds on this one are close, but Menefield is the slight favorite. He's uh, minus 142, where Knight is plus 122 uh, on the comeback. Uh, you know, at first glance, this looks like a matchup between two fairly similar guys. They're both, like, really muscular African-American dudes who throw really hard punches and kicks and get a lot of knockouts. However, past those broad similarities, uh, I think there are some, some differences between these guys. The main difference from my point of view as, as regards how this fight goes, how they match up with each other is that Alonzo Menafield is huge. William Knight is muscular. Like Alonzo Menafield is a guy who clearly like has a cut to make uh 205. He's an incredibly jacked guy and he's about six foot two. I mean, he looks like an NFL safety. Uh, William Knight's about five foot 10. And I've said before, like you've if you've watched this show before for any of his fights, you've heard my standard line. He looks like somebody tried to make a human being out of a stack of bowling balls. But <laughs> it's not a tall stack of bowling balls. And what that means for Knight is he actually has a pretty decent gas tank. Uh, like Knight is fine. If if this if a fight's still going in the third round, he's still throwing with power. It, his arms aren't at his waist. Well, not any more than they were in the first round. And against Menafield, I think that spells good things for him. Uh, I could see this being a fight where both fighters are wary of the other's power and it either goes at a deliberate pace and it's anybody's fight or you know if Menefield does start to to wear down uh knight can take over late and at least you know uh seal away the later rounds or you know maybe even put some hurt on him and get a finish even though he's the the slight underdog here i am going to go with william knight by decision in this fight
1: yeah, uh, actually, I would say that I look at them as polar opposites in, in many ways because on the one hand, you have Alonzo Menefield who starts off incredibly strong, right? Like he, he starts out and he's just trying to clobber guys with his big right cross and he often succeeds in it, right? He just devastated Paul Craig with his punches. He's incredibly dangerous for the first three or four minutes of a fight. He very nearly like, destroyed Devin Clark uh, in the first three or four minutes, uh, Like, badly damaged his eye, had him hurt multiple times. But then once you weather the first three or four minutes of a fight, he tires, he slows down considerably. He is not the same fighter at all by the second or third round, even if he's not outright gassing. Uh, so he starts out very strong in any fades. William Knight is the exact opposite because William Knight, uh, I've seen many of his fights where he's getting beaten and beaten very badly early on in a fight, right? Like, uh, he, he, he's he's just... Totally doesn't seem like he's in the fight. The guy is is just doing whatever he wants to and beating him up. And then William Knight, he survives. And slowly but surely, he starts doing better and better. And, and he wins, right? So he's like this ultimate survivor who has a lot of very rough starts but just finds ways to win, which is a real testament to his toughness, his intelligence, right? Uh, his heart. And it's in a very interesting matchup because uh, it's very possible that menafield just blasts uh night in the first minute or two. But in situations like this, with just how unpredictable and, and how, how demanding fighting is, I always tend to side with the guys who are, Survivors who are who are who have this proven toughness late in the fight versus guys who are just really dangerous for the first three or four minutes. So for that reason, I too am picking uh, William Knight, and I think actually I, I I can see him getting a late finish as well, probably uh, TKO or KO.
0: Awesome. There you go. Two picks for the slight underdog in William Knight at UFC on ESPN 31. Next up, uh, we take it to the strawweight division for Cheyenne Vlismus and Mallory Martin. Uh, Cheyenne, that we'll talk about in a moment, 26 year old from Florida is six and two in her professional mixed martial arts career. She is one and one since joining the UFC out of the 2020 edition of Dana White's Contender Series. She lost her debut to Montserrat Conejo back in march at ufc on espn brunson versus holland came back with a 60 second blitzing knockout of gloria de paula at ufc on espn hall versus strickland back in july she will be taking on martin the 27 year old coloradan is seven and four overall she's one and two since joining the ufc out of the 2019 edition of dana white's contender series uh she lost her debut to verna Jangiroba beat Hannah Cyphers, and then in her only appearance this year thus far, uh, lost to Poliana Viana by first round submission at UFC 258. Uh, Martin is a slight underdog here. She's plus 160. Uh, Cheyenne Blismus minus 185. On the topic of the last name, uh, the thing about uh, Cheyenne Blismus is that she had a, an extensive amateur career before even turning pro so was kind of on you know my prospect radar she's always been cheyenne blismus then married jp bays her then teammate at fortis mma uh i do not know whether they are officially divorced at this point so i'm going with lismus because that's how the ufc is announcing her and mm-hmm. because when i went to her instagram for verification there was no name but all the pictures of jp were gone wow. so we'll, t- we'll t- take that for what it's worth of course if I had been thrown on my head by the stupid headlock throw 17 times by Montserrat Conejo, I'd be divorcing my wrestling coach as well. Uh, Lev, how do you like this fight? Who do you see winning?
1: Uh, First, let me just share my extreme shock and disappointment that Cheyenne Bayes, who is in the co-main event of her last fight against Gloria DePaula and won that by a gorgeous soccer kick knockout, has now been demoted all the way down to the prelims. Life just isn't fair sometimes. (laughs) Which I I guess is just a commentary on the UFC uh, mixing and matching whether they throw someone in a prelim, main card, co-main. It doesn't really matter, and I think that's probably the whole point. Them showing fighters that...
0: It, I'm just it, surprised it, that yeah. Der Raw and Merzakhanov aren't like fourth from the top.
1: Yeah, they like to be... do that with a lot of heavyweight fights, absolutely. Uh, so, despite that very unjust demotion, uh, I think actually this fight is kind of a test for her, right? Because uh, Mallory Martin, she's uh, she's a respectable fighter, but she's a grappler whose grappling isn't that good, honestly. Uh, Verna Jandirova just completely dominated her in that regard. And okay, but Pollyanna Viana, who's, uh, who's really had trouble getting her Brazilian jiu-jitsu going in the UFC, also managed to, to beat her with grappling. Um, there's a lot of fighters she's faced, like, uh, on Dana White's contender series. There was, um, uh, she had an Italian opponent, I believe her name was Nicole Signi. Uh yeah. who actually is very weak to takedowns and even there Martin didn't do that well. So I, I mean she's she's a somewhat of a a limited fighter. And yeah, even though Cheyenne Bays, as you noted, was repeatedly taken down by Montserrat Ruiz with that same damn headlock takedown over and over again. I, I think this is a fighter who she can stay upright against. Uh, her grappling didn't look too bad against other opponents. Granted, those other opponents themselves had very deficient grappling, like Gloria De Paula. And certainly, her striking is better than Mallory Martin's. She does uh, throw her punches more technically. She throws them punches in bunches. Uh, I. I did like the fact that she noticed that she could just soccer kick Gloria DePaulo when DePaulo just uh, got right up without waiting for a referee to get in between. So I I see this as a test for her that she can at least avoid uh, getting taken down and beaten by grapplers on the level of Mallory Martin. And I'm thinking it's probably a test that she passes. So I have uh, I have Cheyenne uh, winning here by uh, decision.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm kind of uh, feeling the same way you are here. Where this is a, a test because obviously in her UFC debut, uh, some problems were exposed with Cheyenne at the time Bayes' game, where a mm. debuting fighter that was visibly smaller than her just dumped her with the same throw over and over again. Uh, if Keith were here. You know, we would be sharing our disgust over this move and uh, how it's used successfully so often, particularly in the women's divisions, if we're being honest. When, you know, both of, both he and I, as former high school wrestlers, just the counter to it is so simple. Like, you know, you, you step around, you know, to the opposite side, y- your head pops out and you have their back. And if it's not high school wrestling, you can at that point just suplex them on their head if you want. Uh, you know, like any takedown that requires you to give up your back is eh, risky, but it worked on Cheyenne over and over again. That's not Mallory Martin. Uh Martin's gonna want to get this to the ground if she knows what's good for her, but lacking explosive entries and really lacking the the striking to set it up, she's just gonna have to march forward onto the gunnery range to get there. And I think I think Cheyenne Blizzmas chews her up. Uh the real test will be if Mallory Martin does manage to get her to the ground. Can Bayes get up? before she takes any damage or before she just like loses the whole round on the defensive and and ends up in a hole. Uh, I'm counting on her to get it done. I, I've definitely cooled on her as a future contender but I'm still pretty high on her as a prospect. She's young, she's still getting her training situation sorted out. Uh, I mean, we've seen her photographed a lot recently with Ray Ceppo. I don't know if that's helping her wrestling but you know, th- they make for cute photos. Um, give me uh Cheyenne Blizmus by I'm going to say third round uh, TKO, just an accumulation of damage. Martin's too tired to get the takedown, getting beat up, and something really hurts her. And at that point, Cheyenne follows her to the floor and gets it done.
1: Oh, and by the way, uh, bad on me for continuing to refer to her by the incorrect surname. It's just just so used to it, right?
0: It probably is still her legal surname, like in, the, in uh. her own Twitter says Cheyenne Bays, the UFC says Vlizmas. So I think either is fine. It's like we're not trying to like force anything on her here. Like just, you know, tell us what to call you, please. Next up, the welterweights take the cage as it is Jake the Celtic Kid Matthews versus Jeremiah Wells. Uh, Matthews, another one of the fighters that if you heard me say this off the top, another one of the fighters that makes me go, I can't believe blank is blank years old. 27 year old Australian is 17 and 5 overall. Uh, he's 10 and 5 in the UFC. Significantly, he's 6 and 2 since moving up full time to welterweight. He did debut as a lightweight in the UFC. He's 6 and 2 at welterweight. Uh, he did lose his last outing, uh, got choked out in the third round by Sean Brady, who uh, has turned out to be a, a contender. That put the brakes on a three fight win streak for him, those coming over Rostam Akman, Emil Mech, and Diego Sanchez. He will be welcoming uh, Wells to the UFC, or no, sorry, Wells already has one fight in the UFC. Uh, Wells, 35-year-old out of Henzo Gracie, Philly, one of the kind of surprise up-and-coming camps of the last year or two in uh, mixed martial arts. He is 9-2-1 overall. He's 1-0 in the UFC. Uh, he joined it back in June, knocked out Warley Alves early in the second round at UFC fight night, gone versus Volkov. Uh, Matthews is a minus 170 favorite. Wells, uh, plus 150 underdog. Yeah, the thing about Matthews is I can't believe he's 27 because to me, he still feels like a 21 year old. I remember, I mean, this should give me a clue that he's in his late 20s because I remember him calling out Sage Northcutt because they were the two youngest mm-hmm. uh, male fighters in the UFC at the time. Obviously, you know, Northcutt's now 26. Uh, Matthews is twenty-seven. Seems to have found a home at welterweights. Uh, I mean, he's his only two losses have been to uh, Brady and then to Anthony Rocco Martin, who at the time was on a bit of a hot streak. Uh, and his win over Jingliang Li has certainly aged well over time. Uh, how do you see this one playing out? Uh, who who do you think wins?
1: Well, Matthews. He's uh, a lot of people considered him a prospect. Uh, unfortunately, at the highest levels of MMA, he just lacks weapons. Like, his his striking is very solid, but he's not going to beat a good striker. His wrestling and overall grappling is very solid, but he's not going to beat a good grappler. So, he lacks a real weapon at the highest levels. And on top of that, I, I do have to question both his toughness and his... Uh, Something I rarely question, which is his killer instinct, right? Uh, against Brady, who admittedly is an absolute beast of a wrestler, right? Uh, just this tremendous grappler. He did seem to really wilt once uh, Brady kept taking him down and uh, just didn't really put up much of a fight once Once it was obvious that he had a big grappling deficiency. And also, like, he should have finished Diego Sanchez. Like, he was so much better. Um, However, I think he has a very, very good matchup here because the one thing I like the most about Jake Matthews' game is his defense. His defense is very good. And Jeremiah Wells, he's a very explosive guy who will try to throw big power hooks for the first um, round, round and a half. And after that, he slows down. He gets tired. So I think that as well as the fact that Matthews is, is a very solid wrestler who will take advantage of certain opportunities that Wells will give him when he's throwing his big power hooks to uh, time takedowns. I think he should win this, uh, and he should win this pretty comfortably. Uh, of course, there's a possibility he gets caught, but uh, I definitely think Matthews is a solid solid pick here, and I'm actually surprised the odds are as close as they are. I would say Matthews wins by decision.
0: You and I see this win basically exactly the same. Uh, I do think we're kind of seeing matthew's ceiling as a a prospect slash contender Mm. for for the reasons you mentioned he's he's not really a finisher just in terms of perhaps instincts as you mentioned and then in terms of not having particular finishing tools like he's a good wrestler but doesn't have the kind of venomous submission game that makes it easy for him to finish fights on the ground and then he's a, a solid striker but doesn't have lights out power so a lot of his fights go to decision you know you pointed out he couldn't finish diego sanchez which that's fine but that just was that much more time for Sanchez to have come up with something to win the fight back. Like his fights will always be a little more dangerous than they need to be for that reason. Uh, Wells presents dangers here. Obviously he's a hard hitter. Uh, he tends to be the wait, 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 and then blitz type of uh striker considering how muscular he is. That may just be uh, an adaptation for managing his gas tank. But even so I don't trust his gas tank over Matthews. So I wouldn't be surprised at all. If Matthews, uh, sees some danger here, maybe gets hurt a couple times in the first round and a half of the fight, but I expect him to survive. I expect him to be able to ply his wrestling and it may not be super pretty to watch, but I, I do expect him to get away with the decision win here as well. We now head to the flyweight division for a matchup between two prospects that I will frankly say, I did not expect to be in this much danger of their respective jobs three fights into their respective UFC careers. I'm not saying this is a pink slip derby, especially in the era of COVID, just that I expected mm-hmm. one or both of these men to already be launching himself into contention, and that has not happened. It is Benel Kopp versus Jalgas Shumagulov. Kopp, the 28-year-old Angolan, is 16 and six overall. He is one and two since joining the UFC, uh, dropping the Ryzen Bantamweight belt to do so. He lost his first two fights in the UFC, though, in fairness to him, they were against uh, Alessandro Pantoja and Matthias Nicolau, both of whom are very good fighters. He came back with a sensational flying knee knockout of O'Day Osborne that was marred only by the fact that he missed weight badly, something that he had to have explained to him when he went and did the customary bonus begging in the post-fight interview. And Daniel Cormier had to tell him, dude, it would be going to O'Day Osborne anyway if you got a bonus, so cool your heels. He'll be taking on uh, Jumagulov. The 33-year-old Kazakhstani is 14-5 and overall. He also is 1-2 and two in the UFC since joining uh, out of a stellar run in Fight Nights Global. He lost his first two fights as well, although and Piva, in particular and Amir Al-Bazi, both solid competitors. He came back with a first-round uh, guillotine choke submission of Jerome Rivera at UFC 264 back in July. Odds on this one? Not as close as the parody in their records would make it seem, as cop is out there at a whopping minus 250, uh Jumagulov plus 210. Uh Love Pizarski, two things that I bring you on the show for are gambling insight and correct pronunciation of Slavic names. So hit me with both. What am I doing any harm to Zhaga Jumagulov's name? And how do you see this fight going?
1: Um Honestly, I, I, in my notes, I literally <laughs> write him down as ZZ. I, I, I would guess that it's not a Z, it's more of a Z. So, z Uh a, a lot of times, I, I know that uh, when they try to translate it from the Cyrillic alphabet, they use a Z, but it's, the actual like letter would, would sound like Zh. So, jean love, possibly.
0: N- now that you mention that, Kazakhstan in particular, like, their national martial art, like, Jack Pajek, has that same Z-H sound, and it's not like mm-hmm. we would say a Z. So, I really just need to do the John Anik thing and, like, record every fighter saying their own name and mm-hmm. use it as a study aid. But, anyway, that's enough of an aside. Tell me why Manel Cop is a two-and-a-half-to-one favorite here
1: well uh, i think cop is a is an interesting fighter he reminds me a lot of uh, a favorite fighter of mine when i even wrote an article about uh yair xenio where Rosenstroik and cop as well they look very very unimpressive and limited right until the moment they knock out their opponents all the way up until then it's like oh what is this guy he, he's not that good then they just knock out their opponents. So uh, Cops the same way, like uh, if he's not like knocking out his opponent, if he's just waiting for an opportunity, he just looks very limited. But then all of a sudden, you know, he delivers these vicious and dynamic and and precise strikes. And they're like, wow, this guy's amazing. And actually a a lot of people, I think, thought that he won the uh, fight against Mateo Nicolou, which is uh, so so like people think he's underperformed relative to his expectations from Ryzen, but he still hasn't done that badly. Um, I think he'll have the the opportunities that he needs against uh, ZZ. Uh, When ZZ fought uh, a guy who in my notes, I write AA. He did very well in round one. He won round one, and then he kind of looked overwhelmed in the striking for the next two rounds. And if you're, uh, if you're overwhelmed in the striking against AA who's not as fast, dynamic or as powerful as cop, um, yeah, that spells real trouble for cop. Uh, that spells real trouble for him against cop so i actually think the odds uh they they make perfect sense to me in that uh, in that context uh and i really hope that if cop wins he uh he goes on another expletive laden rant in the post fight interview which just causes all sorts of people at espn to have heart attacks
0: (laughs) all right so uh you're picking uh cop do you think he gets the finish
1: Yes, yes. Because, well, I mean, it's tough for him if he doesn't get a finish for, for reasons outlined. So, yeah. yeah, I think he finds the opportunity probably in round two, maybe even round three.
0: That's the only thing that actually gives me pause, is that, as you pointed out, Manel Cop isn't really a round winner. You know, he, he doesn't look great and he's not doing things that impress judges until he wins, and that was kind of demonstrated in the fight with Mateus Nikolaou, because uh, I saw that you scored it for Sherdog, sure, you scored uh, rounds two and three for cop. so did I, just uh, scoring on my own. And I think probably a majority of media watching did, but in, at any rate, like I've said about a couple other fighters on this card, his fights, if he doesn't get the knockout, just end up closer than they need to be, even if he's fighting a less skilled fighter just because of his style. And I don't know how that stacks up against Yamagolov because you look at his record and you're like, oh, you know, he's 14 wins, seven by knockout. That's great. But then you look, oh, those were all his really low-level early fights. At the UFC level, and even at the top level of Fight Nights Global, he's a grinder. Uh, Mm -hmm. He is a round winner. Like, he's won a lot more than he's lost uh but his power hasn't carried over and he's adopted a little bit of a more uh measured a- approach it just the, the knockouts aren't coming so i have the feeling like i'm gonna i'm picking cop by uh by knockout here as well but i suspect that he's going to be losing the fight on the scorecard at the time he gets the knockout like i wouldn't be surprised if he loses like both rounds one and round two before getting the knockout in round three or They split the first two rounds, and he's not looking great in the third until he gets the knockout, but I'm picking a knockout as well. Give me Manel Cop by round three knockout. Here's hoping he makes weight, uh, (laughs) you know, and if he makes weight and keeps getting highlight reel finishes and saucy post-fight interviews, the sky's really the limit. Second from the top of the UFC Vegas 44 prelims is a middleweight matchup, and if you recall me saying about the last fight that – both of those guys could really use a win, but it's probably not a pink slip derby. This one might be a pink slip derby, as it is Maki Patolo versus Dusko Todorovic. Patolo, the 31-year-old Hawaiian, is 13-8 and overall. He is 2-4 and four since joining the UFC out of the third season of Dana White's Contender Series, and he has lost three in a row. Those coming against Darren Stewart, Impa Kasanganai, and Julian Marquez, who... Uh, had a fantastic come from behind victory in a fight that Patola was actually winning to get an anaconda choke submission in the third round. That was back at uh, UFC 258 in February. And that is uh, about as happy as I've ever seen James Cross. He is taking on Todorovic. The 27 year old Serbian is 10 and two overall. He's one and two since joining the UFC out of that same uh, third season of Dana White's contender series that produced Patola. He uh, won his debut. Uh, knocking out Dequan Townsend, and has since lost his uh, last two. He got knocked out by Punahele Soriano back in January at the first card of the year, then uh, came back and dropped a unanimous decision to Gregory Rodriguez at UFC Fight Night Rosenstrike versus Sakai back in June. Uh, Todorovic is the slight favorite here. He's minus 155, where Patolo is plus 135. Uh, Lev, who do you have winning this one and how?
1: Uh, Well, let me just say that Maki Patolo, he's one of the biggest underachievers in all of MMA. I'm actually a huge fan of his use of off-speed and off-power. I think it's incredibly to watch and still very underutilized in MMA. Unfortunately, he has so many issues with his cardio and, quite frankly, his fight IQ. Like, he just fights down to the level of opposition. He loses many fights that he should win uh yeah you mentioned julian marquez there's also the Kalen potter fight i mean he 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 had no business losing that like he had such a huge advantage in in every regard um meanwhile dusko todorovic i know he's lost two fights in a row uh and maybe he should change his uh, training camp from Serbia to maybe the United States or some other country with more of an MMA scene. I still think he's a very, very good prospect. I like a lot of things about Dusko Todorovic. Uh, One thing I like about him is that he's a very smart fighter. He takes advantage of any weakness he can find. Uh, I think he's had a Pretty tough set of opponents, right? Uh, I, I think very highly of Punalehi Soriano as well. As a very tough matchup for him to have, and then bouncing back from that against like a skilled striker like Gregory Rodriguez, you know, it's tough. But I think um, I think Soriano is a perfect bounce back fight. Uh, I'm I'm very surprised the odds are so close because. Uh, Todorovic has great cardio, uh, Pitolo does not, uh, also Todorovic is very deadly in the clinch, uh, which we've seen, uh, Pitolo have problems with if Todorovic gets a takedown is on top and it's, uh, then it's almost practically over for Pitolo given their relative strengths and weaknesses. And you have a guy who's who's very who's very smart with how he fights, and Todorovich versus Patlo, who has a very low fight i q so yeah, I, I see Todorovich winning and and I see him getting a finish uh, either submission or ground and pound as well
0: yeah i I'm with you here. I think both these guys have had their problems but Todorovic's problems look fixable and they look to be a little more owing to the level of competition he's taken on. Uh, Puna Soriano and Gregory Rodriguez are both really tough fighters. Like, Obviously, Rodriguez has looked really great all of a sudden. Soriano, I've I've got a soft spot in my heart for him because when I first started working in uh, MMA period, he was the guy that basically worked as a handler for Ali Abdelaziz, uh, I mean, not commenting one way or the other on Ali or whether he's a good or a bad Uh-oh. thing. But just, but, but he's the guy that would always set up the interviews for you. Like, you know, he'd text you and say, so-and-so will be available this time. This is how you get a hold of him. Like, I probably still got Puna's, like, phone number in my phone here just from uh-huh. having been texted so many times as, as uh, the fixer for for Ali. Uh, same way I met Danny Gay. Like, good guys. <laughs> uh, at any rate, Patolo's problems, y- you mentioned the problems that he has – some fantastic individual uh skills like uh his his boxing in particular but he's he's tried things now at two different weight classes and neither one has solved the problem he has different problems at middleweight than at welterweight but his gas tank is not great at either in at either and in the ground game he's just so vulnerable He's not a bad offensive wrestler if he wants things on the ground, but he's easy to take down, and his defense on the on the ground is really suspect, which is how Julian Marquez eventually beat him. Like, he was beating Marquez, but Marquez had his chances throughout the fight and finally snatched one uh, late. That's that's poison against Dusko Zdorovich, who's going to be the bigger guy, the stronger guy, and yet also the guy probably with the better third-round cardio if it goes there, and much, much better on the ground and able to kind of wear on him in the clinch and use his superior height and strength i I agree it's a bad matchup for patola which is a shame it's exciting to see his style in the ufc but Mm -hmm. in order to do that you got to win i'm picking him to lose his fourth in a row here give me dusko todorovic by third round submission the top prelim at ufc on espn 31 at least as the bout order currently stands as of wednesday night when we're taping this is Brian Barbarana versus the debuting Darian Weeks in a welterweight matchup. Barbarana, the 32-year-old Minnesotan by way of Arizona, is 15 and eight overall. He is six and six in the UFC. Uh, Fought most recently back in July where he dropped a majority decision to Jason Witt at UFC on ESPN uh, Hall versus Strickland. He'll be taking on Weeks, the 28-year-old Missouri native is a uh, 5 and 0, a perfect 5 and 0 in his career. Uh he's stepping up on just about a week's notice but it, for what it's worth, he had been scheduled to appear on Dana White's contender series uh in September. He got uh pushed back from uh that for I don't remember exactly why, but COVID at any rate protocols. Okay, right. COVID protocols. He's stepping in for Matt Brown who actually got COVID. So, uh. Weeks <laughs> just had the issue that somebody, you know, in his camp had you know, had some sort of exposure or something, whereas he's stepping in for Matt Brown, who actually got COVID. That's what it is. Thank you. Despite the late notice nature of the uh, matchup, Barbarina is barely the favorite here. He's minus 125 where Weeks is plus uh, 105, so he is actually better than even money. Although though that line just barely came up within the last 24 hours, so it may swing between now and and fight night. Uh, I have to think that the closeness of the line here is something to do with a lack of faith in Barbarina more than anything to do with Weeks. Just, I mean, Weeks is largely an unknown quantity. He's a solid prospect, but he's a five and zero fighter. Uh, Barbarina, a couple of years ago, he was comfortably in that round robin of welterweight action fighters. You know, with the likes of, you know, Randy Brown, Nico Price, Vicente Luque, Alex Morono, and. Some of those guys have risen out of the pack. Uh, Vicente Luque has risen out of that pack to become an actual contender. Obviously, Randy Brown appears to be finally rising. Uh, Barbarin has kind of fallen out the bottom of it. If not for the fact that he got short notice, uh, Anthony Ivy, uh, you know, last September, he'd probably be on a four-fight losing streak right now. I mean, losing to Luque, Randy Brown, and you know, jury is still out on Jason Witt. There's no shame to it, but we've definitely seen we've seen his ceiling. Unless we get some sort of like really bizarre mid-career reinvention, uh, and I guess that's good enough for people to make him even money against someone uh, against someone in in weeks. All I've seen from Weeks in the tape I've been able to find uh, from him is knockout power, especially in his hands. You know, to to get to five and zero in regional MMA, all you really need is one good weapon and the aggression, you know, and willingness to use it. That's what he has i'm not I'm not picking him over Brian Barberrena on short notice, just based on that. You know, Barbina had been preparing to deal with Matt Brown, and the last thing Matt Brown has is like knockout power. So I'm surprised the line is this close. Uh, I certainly don't think we're gonna see Brian Barbarrena as a top fifteen fighter ever at this point. I, I think that train has has uh, left the station. But I think he's gonna give uh, weeks a bad night. Like, I won't be shocked. If Weeks catches him and just flattens him in 90 seconds, those those things happen, but I'm not picking it. Give me Brian Barbarina by decision.
1: There's no nice way to say this. Uh, Brian <laughs> Barbarina, he's 32 years old. He should retire. He is completely shot. Um, I don't say that often, but it, it's just a truth, and, and I have to say the truth. Uh, his striking and his chin were, completely shot against Randy Brown. And then even against Anthony Ivey, he just looked like a shell of a guy who had that amazing fight against Vicente Luque. But okay, against Anthony Ivey, he beat him with wrestling. He just took him down again and again. So I'm like, okay, he can still wrestle. Well, then against Jason Witt, whose wrestling I, I valued very, very poorly. Like Jason Witt had himself... Been completely dominated in wrestling. I forget who it was. Was it uh, Matthew Semmelsberger or, so, or someone? Yep. But yeah. Uh, so I thought, okay, Brian Barbarina is going to win uh, against Jason Witt by out wrestling him, right? Easy path to victory. Jason Witt was the guy who repeatedly just took Brian Barberina down at will and just dominated with him with wrestling. So uh, you know his his wrestling is completely shot as well. So he he doesn't have anything now. His 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 chin is gone, his striking's gone, his wrestling's gone. I mean the guy needs to retire quite frankly. Uh and okay, I I understand that Weeks he's on extreme short notice. He hasn't fought any kind of competition. But I did look at Weeks on on tape. He has a Wrestling background, he's not bad in that regard. He he looked fairly competent with his striking. I, I actually really liked his uh, leg kicks in particular. His hands were okay, right? Um, so against a guy who, who again, I think sh- should have retired before this fight, I'm actually going to pick weeks, even with all the danger of him being short notice not having fought anyone i'm still gonna pick weeks and let's say that Barberina, who's just endlessly tough he's he's gonna survive to decision most likely but i see weeks winning the decision
0: there you go a little more dissension uh between the ad hoc panel of lev and myself and if you're wondering whom to go with when we disagree, understand that Lev does much, much better in the Pick'em League than I do, so. The six-fight main card of UFC on ESPN 31 starts with a uh, middleweight prospect matchup between Brendan Allen and Chris Curtis. Allen, the 25-year-old Wisconsin native, is 17-4 and overall. He's 5-1 and one since joining the UFC out of the third season of Dana White's Contender Series, and uh, he is on a two-fight winning streak. Uh, those wins coming over Carl Roberson, whom he tapped out with an ankle lock at UFC 261 in April, and uh, the recently mentioned uh, Puna Soriano, over whom he took a unanimous decision back in July at UFC on ESPN Sandhagen versus Dillashaw. Uh, those wins have put in the rearview mirror his devastating knockout loss to Sean Strickland uh, last November at a 195-pound catchweight bout, uh, and that put a stop to the three-fight win streak with which he had started his UFC run. He'll be taking on Curtis, the man who goes by Action Man, is 34 years old, out of Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, He appeared on season two of Dana White's Contender Series, did not get a contract immediately, so went back to toil elsewhere including a miserable run in professional fighters league that was miserable mostly because his uh he had three fights in a row against Magomed Magomed karamov twice and then <laughs> Ray Cooper so three fights in a row against the two best welterweights that PFL has produced obviously bad bad nights for him but he made it to the UFC uh just back in November and in one of the more shocking Uh, Debuts one of the more shocking turnarounds of the year, uh, knocked out Phil Hawes in the first round at UFC 268. He now makes a short notice turnaround just, uh, you know, weeks later because Allen had been scheduled to fight Brad Tavares. Tavares fell out. Then Roman DeLede stepped in. DeLede fell out as well. Hmm. And it is now Brendan Allen versus Chris Curtis, who fights on just, what is it, five weeks uh, turnarounds. Uh, Perhaps reflecting... Those uh, that turn around, perhaps reflecting that Allen has basically been a blue chipper since he's been in the UFC. Allen is one of the biggest favorites on the card. He is right now minus 350. Curtis available at plus 290. Lev, can Chris Curtis capture lightning in a bottle again? Can he beat a heavily favored fighter in Brendan Allen? Or will he, I guess, is the real question.
1: I just have to say. Why the hell couldn't they let Curtis enjoy his awesome knockout victory over Haas for even a whole month, right? Just <laughs> such a great win, such a great highlight, and they can't even let the man enjoy it for a full month before and,
0: and throwing it was a, into
1: Brendan Allen.
0: It was a feel good moment, too.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, yeah. I like
0: Phil Haas a lot, but if someone had yeah, to lose, too. like Chris Curtis, that was a really feel good moment. Yeah, anyway, sorry, please continue.
1: Brendan Allen, uh, one of my favorite fights of all of 2021 was his victory over Poonalei Soriano. That was an amazing fight. I thought Soriano looked really good. It's just that Brendan Allen just looked amazing. Brendan Allen, who we all consider this really skilled grappler, he just showed outstanding striking in that fight. And honestly... People are gonna say this is uh hyperbole on my part, but after that fight, I'm like, okay, Brendan Allen, I can see him becoming a world champion. Like he he looked that good, and I'm like, this this might well be the future world champion at 185 pounds. Like that that's how good he looked. Uh with his grappling as good as it is and his striking looking that good against a very good striker in Soriano and just that much improvement over a short period of time. Uh, And uh, unfortunately for Chris Curtis, right, he doesn't even have that much chance of just landing that one big punch because uh, Brendan Allen can just take him down and submit him in the first round, and that's probably what's going to happen. Um, So, yeah, I, I see this. Ending in the first round and probably a submission victory for Brendan Allen. God, what 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 a what an unfair and awful match for poor Chris Curtis.
0: I'm completely with you on this one. This is a quick turnaround matchup, and unlike the Hawes fight, this is a dreadful style matchup for uh for Chris Curtis. I would I would heavily favor Allen over Curtis even on full camps fully prepared for each other but the the quick turnarounds just uh, bad news I think Allen would th- the version of Allen that beat Soriano I think would be perfectly capable of taking care of himself on the feet against Curtis who's a oh, yeah. low a low volume you know but hard striker uh, but as you say he has the option of bringing it to the ground uh, he's you know very good uh, grappler decent wrestler you know without a ton of just traditional like you know bowling ball double leg takedown entries he still has you know uh, a variety of ways to get things to the canvas and gonna be the bigger guy presumably gonna be the the fresher guy uh i'll say that this uh makes it to the second round but i'm also uh, going with brendan allen by submission Next up on the UFC Vegas 44 main card, it is a light heavyweight matchup being brought to you by the Orthopedist Association of Southern Nevada. It is Jimmy Crute versus Jamal Hill. Uh, Crute, the 25-year-old Australian, is 12-2 and overall. He's 4-2 and since joining the UFC out of the second season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he last fought back in April at UFC 261, where he had... Uh, a rousing first round again against Anthony Smith, only to suffer a strange leg injury late in the round, be unable to basically walk on the foot and over his own protestations. The fight was stopped by the doctor between rounds. He'll be taking on Hill. The 30 year old Michigan native is eight and one with one no contest. Uh, he is two and one with one no contest since joining the UFC out of the third season of the Contender Series. Uh, he has beaten Darko Stosic and oven St. Prume, uh, also beat and Abreu badly. And that was overturned due to cannabis. So <laughs> your, your yes. feelings about that, feel your feelings about that are your own, but just understand that that one, no contest was a dominant stoppage yeah. win over a decent fighter that was overturned for something that is not strictly speaking a performance enhancing substance. Soapbox done. Uh, he lost in his last, uh, He lost in his uh, last appearance against Paul Craig at UFC 263 because he suffered a grisly arm injury, but because uh, uh, Abe Vigoda, the 90-year-old ref, didn't seem to notice that, it's a Mm -hmm. TKO by elbows and punches because Craig just punched the shit out of a one-armed man on the ground. Uh, it It was an ugly look. So two guys who... Lost via TKO in their last matchup due to like weird limb injuries. And uh one of them will attempt to turn it around here, hopefully not in the same way. Odds slightly favor creep to be the one who gets it done as he is minus 170 to minus 175 right now, where Hill is floating around out there at around plus one fifty. Uh Lev, how how do you like this fight? And who do you like?
1: Well, in one sense, I really like the fight. It's a very entertaining fight between two very good fighters. In another sense, I absolutely hate it. It's a nonsensical matchup. Why would you pit two great prospects against one another with such relatively small payoff, right? Why not just build both of these guys back up? They're both really skilled. They're They're both guys who could be very serious contenders. Why just have them knock each other off so that one great prospect ends up with two losses in a row? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, That being said, uh, matchmaking aside, which I've mentioned many times in my columns how bad UFC matchmaking is, um, I really like Jimmy Crute. Uh, I remember seeing him against Paul Craig Uh, which he won by third round stoppage and just being really unimpressed with him. I wasn't impressed with his wrestling. I thought his striking was, was poor. And in every single fight since then, he's just shown massive improvement. Like he just improves so much every single time out. And most recently I've been really impressed with his grappling, uh, his, his, Striking is just unrecognizable compared to even a few years ago. He's gotten so much better. and Not to say he still doesn't have weaknesses, right? He, his defense could be a little bit better, right? Like, he can definitely uh, throw more combinations. But he's just shown massive improvement. And if he continues to do so, he'll be a real serious contender. Uh, I don't view the Anthony Smith loss as that negative. Uh, Smith is a very dangerous guy, and he has some of the best leg kicks in all of MMA. It's it's what can happen. Um, Jamalah Hill, I, I really like his unique, somewhat unorthodox uh, striking style, but uh, I, I just see Kroot being able to get takedowns, and even if uh, Jamalah Hill is able to somewhat defend. Uh, I would definitely be worried about the fact that Jamala Hill, he, uh, kind of sticks his chin out and has his hands down and he makes it work because he has like good reactions and a, and a nice sense of distance. But if you get him in the later rounds and he's worrying about the takedown as well, I can absolutely see in conjunction with those factors, Crute nailing him with a right cross which he has developed in a pretty decent weapon for himself. So I see Crute winning this one. I'm going to say he probably does it via ground and pound stoppage.
0: There you go. Uh, I I agree with you that both of their injury-based uh, losses in their last fight are not created equal because Crute. I don't know whether he would have beaten Anthony Smith or not, but the injury that caused the end of the fight was not, like, it, it wasn't a replicable thing. It wasn't an indication that, oh, you know, Jim Cruz just going to have a janky leg forever. I, I Maybe that will end up being the case. But there's no reason to believe that now. Whereas even if there hadn't been the freakish arm break and the dropping of the ball by the ref, the the fight between Craig and Hill indicated a hole in Hill's game that needs to be addressed. And the question will be whether that's addressed because Hill, in his ideal fight pot shots from range at his preferred at his preferred range at his preferred tempo. Uh, And Craig was somebody who, despite not being a plus athlete, like being a very slow guy of hand and foot, was able to crowd Hill, make him uncomfortable, get it to the ground. Just he collapsed the pocket on Hill and got it into his comfort zone rather than Hill's. And that's something that Jimmy Crude can do. Uh, Crude is another guy. It's not that he's a bad athlete, but he's not the kind of athlete that you might suspect from looking at him. Because, I mean, he's built like a superhero, but he's not like a fast twitch freak, you know, although he's... uh, But nonetheless, he took on a guy in Modestus Bukowskis who kind of wants that same thing and had no problem getting inside and and blasting him. That, to me, spells a bad matchup for Hill. Uh, Hill's going to have a couple of shots each time before Kroot, like, I think, closes the distance on him and either turns it into an inside boxing match or just goes for a takedown. Uh, so unless he can meet Kroot with something really good on the way in, like some sort of knee or elbow, or he hits him with some some things early on that change Kroot's game plan just because they hurt so bad, I think this is Kroot's fight to win. I, I expect Kroot to take Hill down, and even though I'm high on both of these guys' as prospects, the nature of the matchup I think Kroot's going to make this look kind of easy. Uh, give me Jim Kroot by a first round finish. It could be a TKO on the ground or a sub. I'm just going to, I'm going to say uh, submission, but yeah, uh, Kroot by first round finish on the ground. Third from the top at UFC on ESPN 31 is a lightweight matchup between the eternal Clay Guida and the ageless Leonardo Santos. Guida. The uh, Chicago area native who will turn 40 around this time next week is 36 and 21 over a well-traveled mixed martial arts career. He is 16 and 15 in the UFC as he prepares to make his 32nd appearance, just tailing slightly behind the Donald Cerrone, Jim Miller uh, record book rewriting. He is... uh, Coming off a loss, he dropped a unanimous or, sorry, a split decision to Mark O'Madson at UFC on ESPN Cannoneer versus Gastelum back in uh, August. That, uh, you know, derailed him after a unanimous decision win over Michael Johnson back in February. He'll be taking on Santos. The 41 year old Brazilian is 18 4 1 overall. He is 7 1 1 since joining the UFC as the winner of the second. Uh, season of The Ultimate Fighter Brazil. He is coming off a loss to Grant Dawson by third round uh, uh, KO, last second of the third round KO. That snapped what for him had been a six-fight winning streak, uh, most recently over Roman Bogotov and Stephen Ray. Uh, Odds on this one, slightly favor Santos. He's minus 185. Uh, Guida is plus 160. And, man, we've got a Guy, like, we've got Clay Guida, who, I mean, he's always been the same. He, I mean, you you can point to where he's he's trailed off a little bit in the later part of his career, but it doesn't feel as drastic as some of the other fighters in his same kind of cohort of age and experience, because his ceiling was never as high. Ten years ago, he touched the lightweight top ten once. Uh, you know, he went on a three-fight win streak where he beat uh, Rafael dos Anjos, Takanori Gomi, and Anthony Pettis. And obviously, the Gomi was on his last legs, but the dos Anjos and Pettis wins in particular aged really well, because those guys went on to dominate the division for the next two years. Uh, and then, you know, he ran into Benson Henderson and Gray Maynard, and that was all she wrote for him, for Guida as a potential like actual top-level contender. Since then, he's won some and lost some, never really threatened to be in the top ten, but as kind of the quintessential, like, reliable action fighter, his job's always been safe. He's still never lost three in a row in the UFC. Uh, because of that, you know, he, he still is sort of the guy he always was. And while, obviously, he has slowed down a little bit, I think most of the problem is that just the, the sports moved on without him. Like, he's still basically the same fighter he was in 2013. And just that, that doesn't cut it in the UFC lightweight division anymore then against him we've got someone in santos who's much more of a much more of a what might have been story i mean he was already like 33 years old when he won tough brazil too and i mentioned that uh he lost to grant dawson who's i think he's a top 10 fighter i don't know about you but you probably at least agree he's borderline top 10 uh so But that snapped a six-fight win streak for him. So, like, why aren't we talking more about Leonardo Santos? It's because those six wins were spread over literally, like, six or seven years. Uh, He's just been chronically injured. And the odd thing about him is that even as he's, like, pushed 40 and been injured so much, every time he's come back in, physically, he's looked just about as good as ever. Just still incredibly strong, surprisingly fast and fluid. I I think there was a little bit of a drop-off in the Dawson fight or it may just be up to Dawson being that good. Uh, but either way, I like Guida in in, in this one. Uh, the, the things that always made Guida go, and I always, it's funny, I always thought Guida was overrated during his prime, and now I think he's underrated and maybe a little prematurely written off. The things that made him go during his prime were he had this really frenetic, bouncy style where he'd bounce in and out and his hair would go all, all over the place. And he'd throw a lot of punches at the air that for some reason, Snake charmed uh, judges into thinking he was winning rounds. <laughs> and then he had surprisingly effective wrestling. Like he didn't have, again, he didn't have like the Josh Koscheck or Ryan Bader, like just, I can I can shoot through your hips from six feet away because I'm so explosive. But just his movement kind of made it deceptive And then he was really good at just second, third effort uh, chain wrestling, turning a double into a single and just kind of persistent. You know, he's, and I I thought he was a little overrated for that in his prime. I was like, he's not that good. He's not that exciting. He's just kind of, his hair flips everywhere. But I think, I think he can make that work against Santos. And for the other reason that he's still pretty durable. And while he doesn't have, the ridiculous cardio that he used to where, you know, he beat uh, Nate Diaz and then like ran laps around the octagon and did push-ups and stuff. Uh, he still has like, a, I think he still has above average cardio for the division. And I'm not sure that Santos does anymore. I think that has slipped a little bit for him. Uh, you're shaking your head like you disagree with me. I'm going to hand this over to you in just a sec. But unless he just shoots right into a guillotine, which obviously he's still capable of doing, because his weaknesses are also the same as they've ever been. I think Wida wins a decision here.
1: No, actually, I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, I think that Leonardo Santos would be a world champion if he started MMA earlier, and maybe if he just fought more regularly. Like, he was so talented, like... Uh, Just watch him fight Kevin Lee in, like, 2015 when Kevin Lee was this young prospect who had never been beaten in the UFC. His striking is so fluid, so fast. He was using the front kick to the face when pretty much, like, only Anderson Silva was using it effectively. Uh, Beyond that, you know, he had world-class Brazilian jiu-jitsu, good wrestling. Like, God, the guy was so talented. Like he really is for me at the top of like what could have been in terms of like potentially a guy who could have been a world champion and one of the greatest ever. If he had just done MMA, uh, earlier, if he had just fought more regularly, like he is so talented and he was so talented that even into like 40, he was able to beat guys like, uh, like Ray and, uh, Bogatov. and um, I I do think he's slipped over the years, but uh, again, he's so good to begin with. Uh, Guida, in his defense, I do think he's improved. His striking's gotten better. Uh, He's even developed an overhand right, which I think he uh, hurt Jim Miller with uh, briefly until losing that fight. And he also, I believe, knocked out I think it was Joe Lozon with that overhand right, or was it Diego Sanchez? One of those two guys. Uh, it was Lozon. To... Yeah, it, it was Lozon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do think, as you correctly stated, his cardio has is not what it once was. He used to have like maybe the best cardio in the entire sport. Now it's maybe a little bit above average. And I do think that does work well for him with Leonardo Santos because Santos we've seen, even against Bogatov, even though that was aided by like a million low blows by Bogatov. That was like one of the dirtiest performances we've seen in MMA in the last few years. It's just shameful. They did the right thing in getting rid of Bogatov after that performance. Um, But yeah, he fades uh, heavily in round three, and even though his takedown defense is very solid for the first two rounds in round three, he can absolutely be taken down. So there's a very good chance that Guido wins round three. I just struggle to see Guido winning rounds one and two. I think for those rounds, um, Santos will stay upright or get up pretty quickly, uh, Guida's top control is not great, and especially in his more recent fights, it hasn't been that impressive, uh, saying nothing about Santos's BJJ credentials. Santos, his striking should still be fluid and, and more technical to the point where he should be winning significantly on the feet. So even if he drops round three, he might just be up two rounds at that point. Uh, so for that reason, I'll, I'll take Santos by decision.
0: That brings us to the co-main event, a lightweight, uh, I don't think I'd be stepping out on a limb to call it a, a striker's delight on you know behalf of both myself and Lev. He's welcome to disagree when he, when he gets to it, if he likes. But it is Brad Riddell versus Rafael Fiziev. Riddell, the 30 year old New Zealander, is 10 uh, 1 overall. He is a perfect 4 0 since joining the UFC. Over that time, he has beaten uh, incrementally better and better competition. Uh, Jamie Malarkey, Magomed Mustafaev, Alex Da Silva Coelho, and most recently, back at uh, UFC 265 in June, Drew Dober, over whom he took a unanimous decision. He'll be taking on uh, Fiziev, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. I mean, he is. Born in Kazakhstan, I believe he's fighting out of Kyrgyzstan, but he's ethnically Russian. All I know is I'm sure it's not Fiziev, but that's what the booth is gonna call him. 28 uh, year old uh, fighting out of Tiger Muay Thai is also 10 and one in his professional career. He's four and one since joining the UFC. Uh, he got knocked out early by Magomed Mustafaev in his debut, has come back from that with four wins in a row uh, over Alex White, Mark Giacchese, Hinata Moikano, and most recently, back at uh, UFC 265 in August, Bobby Green, over whom he took a unanimous decision, looked pretty good in the process. Uh, this one is close to a pick 'em, but but uh, Fiziev is just slightly favored. He's minus 115 right now. Riddell, minus 105. Uh, Lev, uh, who do you like in this fight?
1: Well, let me say uh, Riddell. He is just endlessly tough. He, he loses like round one against quite a few guys and he just comes back, doesn't even get remotely discouraged, wins rounds two and three. Uh, not only is he endlessly tough, he's very smart, which is a very deadly and potent combination in MMA when you're not just a tough guy, but a smart, tough guy, right? And uh, he's very solid. Uh, I, I don't think there's any large weaknesses to his game but at the same time he's a little slow and he can definitely be hit and that is going to be a problem against Fizyev, uh, who is very technical uh, very fast has an assortment of dangerous strikes from both hands and uh he's gonna have a large advantage in speed and accuracy now obviously i think riddell he's thinking okay maybe i'll lose round one i'll win rounds two and three but in this case um it's it's quite a significant advantage that Fiziev is going to have uh i I was looking at some of riddell's earlier fights against guys like alex da silva and some of those punches that he was taking, if he was taking them from Fi uh, he might just get knocked out. So maybe he wins round three, but uh, again, he, he, even if he even if he doesn't get knocked out, uh, it's gonna be hard to see him winning round two. Uh, he can do it. he He's so tough and so smart, but I'm going to have to take Fiziev's uh, advantages in terms of speed, precision, and technique here and striking and save that he wins a decision.
0: i'm I'm with you, and it's it's funny for me to say this, considering that of the two guys, Fiziev is actually the one who has been blitzed and knocked out early. But mm-hmm. I, I do think that the dynamic here is Riddell's tendency to start a little bit slow and in particular, be hittable early against uh Fiziev's demonstrated tendency that he can gas out late uh like that was that was sort of the drama that played out in the Bobby Green fight where honestly yeah. for as much as Bobby Green has been on my scream at the TV fighters list for years Bobby Green fought a really good fight that fight like he yeah. he sensed something in Fiziev and he weaponized pace and he made Fiziev tired in a fight that was conducted mostly on the feet uh that can certainly happen. If this thing gets to the third round and Riddell has not taken an extravagant amount of damage, I expect that he'll be the the fresher man, but I think you're right. And either one of two things is gonna happen. By the third round, either he will have taken an extravagant amount of damage or he's gonna be two rounds in the hole. And I I don't know that he's going to be able to do anything in that third round to change the outcome of the fight. Uh, I do love uh, Fiziev's speed, his power. You mentioned his technique. I mean. All you need to say about the guy is that he first hit my radar as not not as a fighter but as a Muay Thai instructor at Tiger Top team uh, or at Tiger Muay Thai. That I mean that's all you really need to know about the guy is that like he's one of the guys teaching Muay Thai at the place where American fighters go, you know, to learn Muay Thai. Uh give me Fiziev in uh by decision in what I suspect will probably be the fight of the night. Um or it, or it'll deserve fight of the night even if it doesn't get it because you know that dynamic as well. With that, we come to the main event of UFC Vegas 44, a high-level contenders, if not title eliminator, bantamweight matchup between Rob Font and Jose Aldo. Font, the 34-year-old Bostonian, is 19-4 overall. He's 9-3 in the UFC, and he is on a four-fight win streak. Those wins coming over Sergio Pettis, who... By the time Font enters the cage on Saturday, might be your uh, Bellator MMA phantomweight champion. Also over Ricky Simone, Marlon Moraes, and most recently back in May, Cody Garbrandt, whom he beat via unanimous decision at UFC Fight Night uh, 188. He'll be taking on Aldo, the fighter that I will cheerfully call a living legend and uh Pound for pound. Great. Uh, at age 35, still building on his remarkable resume. Uh, he is 30 and seven overall. He is 12 and six in the UFC. But if you extend that to include his time in the WEC, which I think is only fair since his division was absorbed wholesale, he is 20 and six between the WEC and UFC, uh, Most notably, he is two and two since dropping to Bantamweight in one of the unlikeliest sounding career reinventions I can think of in recent MMA history. Uh, You know, if you'd asked me five years ago, I would have said he's much more likely to move up to lightweight, if anything, and would probably fare better there. I had no faith at all that he would look any kind of decent at Bantamweight. And against my expectations, at least, he has done so and then some. Uh, he's already fought for the title and he's on the cusp of doing so again he's not favored to, as he is plus 120 right now where font is minus 140 as as the slight uh favorite uh quick bonus question for you lev before i even throw it to you for your actual analysis of the fight Uh, you're somebody who is very conscious of ufc matchmaking Uh, as am i you tend to be a little more critical of it than i do but even i will freely admit that since joe silva left the ufc has a lot fewer great matchups where any outcome is a win for the the organization my first question is do you like this matchup and my second question is who do you think the ufc secretly hopes will win if they have a preference
1: i think it's an okay matchup um I don't know, maybe I would have uh, had Jose Aldo fight, fight someone else, but yeah, it's a bit of an open question who. I, I think it's okay. Certainly Font becomes a very serious contender if he wins. I think the UFC would probably still want Aldo to win, though. Yeah, I, I know he lost to Piotr Jan, but that was an entertaining fight. Aldo did win one round and he he's obviously has way more fame and name recognition you could put him in against a lot of other elite guys uh not necessarily the main event but maybe like the co-main or third fight from the top of a of an actual ufc pay-per-view uh rob font uh, unless you closely follow mma you're probably not familiar with him which is a real shame he's I love I love the guy and his style, but yeah, I I would assume they would want Aldo to win.
0: And uh, as far as the fight itself, how do you see this one playing out?
1: Uh, first of all, I have to uh, I believe Sergio Chio Pettis is currently the uh, Bellator white Champion, uh, which he uh, won from Juan Archuleta. Of course. Uh, yeah. uh, which is actually a kind of interesting I think because Pettis and uh, Fonte have very similar styles in a lot of ways um, uh, and I have to also uh, freely admit that Jose Aldo made a complete fool of me because the last time we did a preview I believe either of or the third fight from the top was uh, Jose Aldo versus Pedro Munoz Munoz was a tiny underdog like Plus 105, and I said, "Well, I, I don't understand why that is. Munoz is clearly better than Jose Aldo, and, and I picked Munoz to win. And Aldo didn't just win; he just dominated him. It was a very one-sided matchup, which I didn't anticipate in the least. Uh, I, oh, Aldo looked incredible. Uh, he he fought. He he's such a smart guy too, right?" Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he's one of the greatest fighters ever. I think you can even make uh, an argument based on how 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 high skill and how constantly evolving his weight class is. That he is the greatest fighter of all time. And I, I guess you should never underestimate greatness on the level of Jose Aldo. Um, but yeah, he he's so smart too now, like uh against really tough guys who present so many problems like marlon vera and pedro munoz he he just he's he finds ways to just beat them or even dominate them so yeah you can never discount him he he, he'll probably use his wrestling at points against rob font we have seen him use his leg kicks again uh his boxing is tremendous like he had a great game plan of like throwing uh, combinations to the body against Munoz, which uh, was really good. However, I think Rob Font—I um, don't know—maybe might be the p- best pure boxer in all of MMA, maybe. Which is which is a hard thing for uh, for Aldo to face. Um, Font, too, is just such a smart guy. He, he just He's able to make the fight into this very specific type of kickboxing affair, which is funny, the same, same exact thing that Sergio Pettis did, except when they last fought, uh, Font was actually a little bit better than Pettis at it. And uh, the one issue for me with Aldo is that I don't know if he's that great of a five-round fighter honestly like uh granted this was against uh max holloway and also Piotr Jan but we did see him kind of wilt after the uh just a little bit in terms of his uh strength his energy levels after the first two rounds and font because of his build because of his outstanding cardio he's going to be just as good in rounds four and five so maybe even aldo is up like 2-1 after the first three rounds and we could see font winning the last two so for that reason i do have to slightly favor rob font and say that he wins a close decision
0: outstanding thank you for that breakdown Uh, i love that you came right out and talked about how intelligent aldo is and how He's continued to evolve. And it's it says something that when you're already arguably the greatest fighter in the world, arguably one of the greatest of all time, that you're continuing to improve. Because during his WEC and early UFC heyday, I'm not gonna I mean I'm not gonna call him a, a limited fighter. He's just a guy that used he used the same tool set. You knew exactly what you were gonna get from Jose Aldo in every fight, just he was so good that nobody could stop him. He's like, I'm gonna kick your legs as hard as maybe anybody else in the world, pound for pound. I'm going to have the most impregnable takedown defense in the history of the sport, And a couple of times a fight, like when the opportunity presents itself, I'm going to blitz with punches and see if I can knock you out. But if not, I'm happy to take a decision where I just kick your legs off and and leave you frustrated. That was kind of what carried him along like all the way up into his uh, UFC title reign. Like that was the Jose Aldo fight. Even now, I mean, he's still only lost to Conor McGregor, Max Holloway, Alex Volkanovski, Piotr Jan, and a very debatable one to Marlon Moraes where you know a lot of people thought he actually won. But like his actual clean losses are to like at least at the time he fought them just number one guys in their division in in the sport. And anyone below that level he's even top 10 guys, he's just made look silly. Like Frankie Edgar at UFC 200. Like think of how much success Edgar's gone on to in the 5 years since then. Like, Edgar was not a spent force at that time, and Aldo just pitched a no-hitter at him. Uh, Marlon Vera, top 15, if not top 10 guy. Pedro Munoz, favored to win, top five guy. And the way, like, as you pointed out, the way he the way he beat them, like bringing out his wrestling against Vera, knowing that it would not only maybe get the fight to the ground on his terms, but also just give Vera one more to, thing to think about during the striking. Uh, the way... He identified that Munoz had fewer weapons than he did on the feet, and just brought out a more diverse arsenal. Like brought out more leg kicks, but then just use a wider variety of of strikes. It, he's been brilliant, and if Font beats him, like it'll be kind of the again aside from the controversial loss to Morias, it'll be the first non just like absolute title level guy that that's beaten him since his debut. But I'm with you, like, and I say this as someone who also picked the Munoz fight wrong, and I think I'm about to pick this one wrong again because I'm leaning towards fonts and I have the feeling I'm going to feel dumb by the end of the night. I, I do like that you put Font in the conversation of the best pure boxers in the UFC. I mean, I don't want to say it too loud, or you know, Max Holloway will come like punch me in the face and 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 yell at me. But uh, he he's got to be up there. And one thing in particular I like about his boxing is there are boxers for whom the jab is a tool, you know, it's a range finder, it's a rhythm disruptor. And then there are guys for whom the jab is a weapon. You know, it splits people's face open. It sits them down. I mean, the, the ultimate example of that, I, I think not in a vacuum, but like as a developed tool is Kamaru Usman, where that's not a tool he had two years ago and now he does. Mm-hmm. Like the knockout of Gilbert Burns started with a jab that sat Burns on his ass in a daze. Like Usman has a weapon jab. Uh, Font has a weapon jab, you know, and he has a jab that he throws it at different speeds and strengths, kind of like uh, you mentioned earlier on on this preview. Uh, I'm interested to see how that that plays out against what Aldo will try to do on, on the feet. Uh, you mentioned that Font's good at getting the, the kickboxing match to look like what he wants it to look like. I, I thought that was definitely the case in the Garbrandt fight. I'm interested to see if he can make that happen against someone as smart and as experienced as Aldo. I think that's kind of what it hinges on. That and whether Aldo decides to start throwing in takedowns and whether he has any success at it. Almost no outcome from this fight would surprise me, except maybe a boring fight. Uh, I'm leaning towards Font to win by decision. I'd feel stronger about it if it were a five-round fight, because I do agree with you that uh, Aldo at this point, especially Aldo cutting to bantamweight, you know, the fourth and fifth rounds probably are not his friend. But even in a three-round fight, give me Rob Font to win two of the three rounds uh, in a really, really fun fight and a really, really high-level one. Any other thoughts about this one? No, no, that's uh,
1: very well put. I will say, actually, uh, uh, I think Rob Font's teammate, Calvin Cater, has an even better jab. Uh, I think Font is a at least slightly better boxer overall. But Cater, in terms of just a jab, I'd say is even better than his teammate Rob Font.
0: I I would concede that you have uh, much more actual boxing experience than I do. And I I agree that his is fantastic as well. Uh, So UFC on ESPN 31, not the only game in town this week. Uh, Obviously, numerous promotions are are getting back into the swing of things after Thanksgiving week in the United States, but certainly the most notable one outside of the UFC would be Bellator. Uh, Bellator 272 takes place this Friday, and just because we've talked about him a little bit here, the headliner is Sergio Pettis defending, thank you for reminding me of that, defending his Bellator Bantamweight title against Kyoji Horiguchi, the man who never did actually lose that belt in uh, the cage. I mean, for those who don't remember, Horaguchi was the simultaneous Bellator and Ryzen Fighting Federation 135 pound champ. He won both of them by beating Darian Caldwell. He was injured back in 2019 and was forced to drop both belts. He's already won back the Ryzen belt. He won the Ryzen belt back over uh, Kai Asakura last uh, New Year's on New Year's Eve. That was getting his belt back. That was also uh, revenge for a loss to Asakura uh back in 2019 so that had to feel good now he is going to attempt to win back his other belt and the man waiting for him will not be Caldwell who has moved up to 145 apparently permanently but Sergio Pettis uh let's talk about it for a sec uh I like this fight a lot I think you probably do as well but uh who do you favor like kind of off the cuff
1: Yeah, yeah. I I don't know what it is about Sergio Pettis not getting a lot of respect. He was a fairly significant underdog against Juan Archuleta, like a plus 185, if I recall correctly, and he won that uh, fight very handily. And Juan Archuleta is an excellent fighter, but uh, I certainly favored Pettis. And now against uh, Horiguchi, he's he's also like a small uh, favorite, maybe like a Plus 140 or so, and I I'm also co- somewhat confused by it. Uh, Sergio Pettis, um, I think he's only improved since he left the UFC, which makes sense because he's still a fairly young guy. And he's still just yeah. 28. Yeah, and he, um, yeah, he's just so amazing at turning any fight into just this very specific type of kickboxing match where he's almost impossible to hit and meanwhile he's just constantly hitting you with his jab which is so technical and so beautiful right also one of the best jabs in mma up there with font or cater right um and yeah i mean horiguchi is is an excellent and intelligent striker but i just don't see him getting the same opportunities against uh pettis that he does against other guys it's also a lot harder to get those opportunities when you face a significantly taller and longer fighter who has a good jab right Mm
0: -hmm.
1: like that that makes things more difficult um i guess pettis hasn't really used his left hook that much but uh that that would make it even harder by the way (laughs) Uh, against a taller and longer fighter, and uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he'll have like some really nice, explosive combos where he he has his moments against Pettis, but just round after round with that jab in your face and that just excellent defense, I think eventually it'll it'll grind Horiguchi down. Uh, there, there's a definite size disparity here as well because horiguchi could still make flyweight oh. so so i'm going to choose uh pettis to retain his uh title
0: i'm with you and i do think it's interesting how uh pettus's how his resume is underrated uh and you know he's maybe a little uh maligned dismissed like certainly I even I like kind of looking at the card this week and thinking back at some of his fights was surprised to realize that he was he's still well under thirty. He just barely turned twenty eight this summer because it almost feels like he should be over the hill or past his peak or like it's too late for him to fulfill any kind of potential. I think a lot of it goes down to him not being Anthony because the thing is they look so alike. He he just he literally looks like a miniature version of, of Anthony Pettis. Their face is the same, their hair is the same, their tattoos are broadly the same. And even in broad strokes, their skill sets are the same, but the outcomes are nothing alike. Like Anthony Pettis in his prime was one of the most breathtaking finishers MMA has ever seen, whereas Sergio Pettis set a record by winning his first nine UFC wins by decision. Like he is the opposite of a finisher. And I think for that reason, like maybe there's just like boring fighter hostility on part on the part of Just Bleed fans. Because that's really all it can be. His UFC losses after like a couple of early ones, Henry Cejudo, Juicy a. Formiga, and Rob Font. That's it. And in between, he was beating good people. He beat Brandon Moreno, your current UFC flyweight champ. He beat Joseph Benavidez, you know, the maybe the greatest bridesmaid of the modern era in any division. And he beat Benavidez by pitching a near shutout against uh, Benavidez's takedowns. Like, he's been fantastic. And Over in Bellator, he's made people like Bandejas and Archuleta just look a step behind him. I agree with you. Like he's continued to evolve. He's defensively incredibly sound. Uh, Even at 135 pounds, he's going to be longer uh, than uh, than Horiguchi. And when you combine that with his boxing, with his footwork, uh, you know, just with his movement in general, yeah, I, I agree. It might not be a complete barn burner of a fight, but I think not only will Pettis win, but it will probably make it look uneasy. of
1: easy. You know? I, I, I do have to say, I think Sergio Pettis is a much, much better uh, mixed martial artist than his older brother, Anthony. Like, uh, I, I think maybe people think of Anthony a little too much with Sergio. Sergio is way, way better, in my opinion.
0: I agree that he's better. Like, The question is, like, if not already, what will he have to do to be, like, greater in terms of overall resume? Because I think there's a difference between the two.
1: <clears throat> well, yeah, I mean, because one had his title in the UFC, which is kind of a bigger deal. But yeah.
0: but, uh, I'll be watching it anyway. Oh, yeah. Uh, Unless you've got anything else, this has been the SureDog Radio preview for UFC on ESPN 31, Font versus Aldo, with a little bit of bonus content about uh, Bellator 272, Pettis versus Horaguchi. I have been your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me uh, stepping in. Uh, for Keith Schillen has been Lev Pisarsky, which I really appreciate. Always cool to talk to you about uh, these ones. You know, we talked back in uh, July or August about the last Houston pay-per-view card. That was a blast. This one's been a lot of fun. So thank you very much. Uh, For those of you watching, uh, enjoy the fights, enjoy the rest of your week. Make sure to drop by the Sherdog YouTube page immediately after the UFC main event, where Keith and I will be breaking down uh, the card in the form of a recap, talk about what happened what it means what's next uh the live chat is always open so we'll be taking your questions your comments your hot takes and certainly if uh lev and or i were dead wrong about any of these fights we will be taking your abuse Uh, i'll take it on lev's (laughs) behalf just because i appreciate so much uh, him stepping in here and doing the show with me uh thanks for listening